0: Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF public Media's show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sussingham, host of Florida Matters. You can hear Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7 or streaming on WUSFnews.org. This week on Florida Matters, we marked the graduation of seniors at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, which suffered through a mass shooting in February, and we aired an audio diary from one of the survivors. Coming up, we speak with public radio reporters in Miami who've been covering the aftermath of the shooting. Support for Florida Matters More comes from the National Foundation for Transplants, Right now, hundreds of Tampa residents need an organ transplant they can't afford. You can join the National Foundation for Transplants Operation Second Chance at transplants.org to learn how to help give someone a second chance at life. And we're also grateful for the support of the Florida Department of Health. If you or a loved one need information about medical marijuana, the Florida Department of Health provides resources on qualifying medical conditions, physicians, and approved treatment centers at flhealth.gov OMMU. Sammy Mack and Katie Swetalski are reporters at NPR station WLRN in Miami. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Good to be here.
0: And Stephanie Colombini is the producer of Florida Matters. Hi, Stephanie. Hi. So, we've been talking about the school shootings at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and um, listening to an audio diary with Lenore Munoz. And another detail from the audio diary that really resonated, I thought, was the description of the school. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School being known as a safe, almost overprotective place cuz that was important for a lot of us who really hadn't even heard of that school before. Absolutely.
2: It's it's a big big school um in the middle of a more affluent neighborhood. Um it's very suburban. Lots of street lights at night, lots of um, you know, police presence, uh, you know, all the grass is trimmed. It's not a place where you would Um, ever be scared to walk around at night for example
1: they call it parkland and you see it when you walk through or drive through I mean it's just this like beautiful kind of well manicured um, thoughtful suburban area and and a lot of people um, live there for the schools because the schools have a reputation as being great Um, terribly sad and ironic isn't it yeah yeah so Sammy and they called it. what did she say it was p-
0: safe at parkland, parkland safe, safe sa-
3: after Darkland, yeah I remember that from yeah. the, the diary, and i so i um who is pretty unfamiliar with South Florida in general, moving to Tampa you last year us. from New york i joined mm-hmm. yeah I, I I traveled down to um help the folks at w l r n with coverage since you guys had your hands so full, everybody needed a break um, it was a really great opportunity, but I immediately saw that kind of suburban neighborhood family feel as soon as I arrived in Parkland. Um, the night before I had started coverage, I was covering the students second day back at school, which definitely had a, a noticeably different tone from the first day back when there were hordes of people out on the street, you know, cheering for them. Therapy horses, therapy exactly. goes, therapy pig. We had just learned there was a therapy pig too. <laughs> therapy I pig. would love to see a I therapy pig. I know, I wish pig. I would have seen that. Day two is much more, it was like going back for a normal school day. I mean, there was definitely still that. Height and security and and whatnot, but I mean it was it was kids walking across the street and saying you know, hey how's it going and chatting with this uh, you know the crossing guards. It was kind of like a normal school day. But I um, went to the night before the the second day of school when I was kind of just getting my bearings. I went to this park uh, close by to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas that had this. Beautiful memorial set up for the victims. Pine um, trails. Yes, um, with the the angels. There were 17 angels for each victim. There were little tents set up that. Every family member and friends kind of just left personalized notes and stuff like that. And I just remember seeing all of the families um, and and residents of Parkland just hanging out at the park, playing soccer, checking in with each other and paying their respects at this memorial. And it was uh, a neighborhood vibe that kind of coming from urban New York, I had never really experienced.
0: Yeah. So, so, you know, just so ironic that it was supposed to be this safe haven. And Katie, I bet the kids were happy when school got more normal, when it was just like going back to a regular school day rather than all of the things going on.
2: I think yes. And and also maybe a little bit no. It's almost more scary when, you know, the cameras are gone and, um, you know, everybody feels a little bit more alone. I saw some of that. Mm-hmm. I saw some of the oh no, what do we do now? Really, um, because once you're in that mode where it's the media, the true media frenzy with all of the cameras, um, at it was least a distraction, the kids knew. Probably, yeah. At least the kids knew. Yes, I want to stay home and hide from this, or I know how to navigate around this, or I feel okay talking about it. But once things quieted, um, I definitely had a few students say, you know, that was the moment of, you know. Uh, what do I, what, what comes next? Now right. I have to deal rec- with this.
1: Reckoning happens in the stillness, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sammy, um, the
0: the school held its graduation ceremony recently, right?
1: It did. And what was it that did. Like? They graduated. Well, it was closed to reporters, um, so there wasn't any media in. And if you've seen clips of it, it's probably off of um, people's, like, Twitter and Facebook feeds holding up their phones. Um, but there was, uh, there, there were a lot of ways in which, the students who had died and there were two other classmates who had died previously, um, not in this particular event. So, so they were all honored, um, in their own way, but there was a, a, a particular amount of attention to the kids who died during the shooting, um, and family members and friends accepted diplomas on their behalf. Um, and it was this, it was a balancing act where, the school and the kids and the teachers had to sort of figure out how to embrace and celebrate what any teenager has gone through four years to do but also acknowledge this this awful awful trauma that has has happened to their school
2: and we got the chance to talk with a couple of parents uh, the day after the graduation and it was that question of did this feel like the celebration that a high school graduation is supposed to feel like? Um, and I think it, their their answers were a little mixed. You know, there were moments where there wasn't a dry eye in in the arena, and then there were moments where everyone was excited and let the fact that they had graduated really sink in.
0: I can imagine. I mean,
2: I I don't know how they
0: did it. You know, you want it to be a normal experience for your your child. You want them to have a real high school graduation that I would imagine as a parent, you don't want everything in their life to be painted with a school shooting survivor
1: tent. You know, like you want some things to just be normal kid stuff. And we heard that from the kids, too. I mean, when I was talking to Lenore, I was working with her for a couple of months on this project, and... um I talked to her right before prom. We were, you know, working on a piece of the diary and um, I was asking her just sort of casually like what what she was doing for prom and stuff. And um, and I mentioned that we were sort of working on some of our coverage plan around that. And she just looked at me like horrified, like, oh, my God, there's going to be reporters at prom, too. No. Oh. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I and and so we were talking about it and she's like, you know, some of these things we just want for ourselves. So And I think that's part of why um, graduation was closed to the media. And I think that's that's definitely
2: influenced coverage from WLRN and and other local media outlets that are still following these kids is, you know, we've got to find other ways to to follow how they're doing and stay out of their faces.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge to to document this in a way where you are we are making sure that we are recording this piece of what is becoming part of our history in a way that doesn't hurt anybody.
3: Yeah, even um, in that, you know, second day back at school, I noticed there, I mean, there were definitely students willing to talk about their story and wanting to, but there were plenty of kids that are just looking at you and the other reporters on the street, like, will will you please just let me go to class? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can't even imagine for prom that, you know, that's, you're dolled up. This is like this exciting moment you've been looking forward to. And now you have reporters outside asking you questions about, uh, you know, a horrible moment of your life. I think you do have to find that balance of, yes, we're telling, you know, journalism, but we're not, you know, invading in their lives. And going back to
1: Lenore's audio journal, that was part of the process. I mean, this was an opportunity for her to have control over the narrative, to have a say in what the final product sounds like, and to to decide how to bring other people into her story. And you you even hear her say, um, I'm I'm a gay Catholic, I'm a white Mexican, I'm used to being different, but this is not the thing that I want to make me different. And I think a lot of kids, uh, that second half, this is not the thing that I want to make me different, feel that
2: way. We heard that a lot from middle school parents, because now looking more forward to the future, You've got these parents of graduating eighth graders from the school feet away, right next door, that are so worried, you know, is this going to follow my child through their entire high school journey, and they weren't even directly on campus. I hadn't even um, thought they're, that. They're dealing with their own anxiety, but what comes next for the parents and the incoming freshmen and you know, are they going to be a part of that group? Are they going to assimilate OK? Is this going to really shadow them has been an interesting, an interesting follow to, to
0: watch. I wonder if it's going to be as, as notorious as Columbine. I mean, I always thought I would hate to be a Columbine graduate, because you could never say where you went to high school without people having a little bit of horror. And, I and hope that's what a lot of these kids say
2: is, you know, when they're tired and they don't want to deal with it, and someone asks, "Oh, hey, where you know, where are you from?" They just, you know, say the next big city, or they'll they'll say Coral Springs or Fort Lauderdale instead of Parkland because they admit that sometimes they just want a break.
0: You guys, I mean, how do you feel, Sammy and Katie? I mean, talking about wanting a break, are you ready to just cover? Uh, an art museum or? <laughs> you
1: know. uh, so funny you should ask that. Um, there's this really great resource, which is the DART Center for Reporting on Trauma, um, which does a lot of work around like what happens when journalists are exposed to a lot of trauma. Um, and there, there is a thing called vicarious trauma, which is a phenomenon that happens to first responders, to mental health professionals, to people who are Around people who are involved in talking to them or being somehow being sort of in a secondary way exposed to that trauma makes sense. Um they can start to exhibit some of this, the same symptoms. Um, and you know, similarly, like not everybody is going to have that happen to them. And if you kind of hedge yourself and develop some really strong support networks and potentially see a mental health professional, if you need to, um, that can, that can be really effective in not just helping with potential symptoms of trauma, but also, um, developing a, a stronger sense of purpose. And I, I think that that, That is something that I have felt, which is that um, watching some of these stories, working with Lenore, has been a really profoundly professionally rewarding experience. Um, I hate that I have to cover this story so much, but at the same time, um, we have an opportunity to bring other people who haven't been through this into this story in a really intimate way and hopefully, there will be people who hear this who are in a position to um, make decisions, who are in policy positions, in funding positions, who need to understand the experience of this, because when you create three thousand or more survivors, you are—it is—it's like a black act of creation where you—you you suddenly have to deal with all of the the outcomes of this or you you should be dealing with them because because there's a lot of implications for what this means for their lives for the community for the the space around them for other kids um and so everything they're going to go on to do yeah everything that they're going to go on to do and so so this feels like like a way of of helping um bring that story to ears who maybe need to hear them and that, I would
2: agree that it's so professionally rewarding in, in ways that I didn't expect. And I think that you feel this sense of ownership for these kids and, and the the power to tell their stories when they need to, you know, raise a voice or figure out something to do or um, go through something. And, and being you, feeling like you can be there for them has been yeah. so impactful for me.
1: Children should not have to bury their own. Absolutely not. That should not happen. Um, But since it has, we need to have really meaningful conversations about how to prevent it from happening and to help those survivors. Generate a larger understanding. Yeah.
0: That is Sammy Mack and Katie Switalski, reporters at NPR member station WLRN in Miami. Thank you guys so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And Stephanie Colombini is the producer of Florida Matters. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Robin. Thank you for joining us. And listen to Florida Matters on the radio Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. You can always find it online at WUSFnews.org. I'm Robin Sessingham. Come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More. And subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher.